Today on Get Vertical Gal Police, we are wrapping up our tradition series with a sermon titled Evidence of a Changed Heart. Today, Pastor John walks us through the story of the demon-possessed man in Mark chapter 5. We're going to see what he does with the evidence of a changed heart. Let's listen in now. Well, good morning. This morning, we are finishing up our series on traditions. We began with uh, looking into Matthew 15 and um, seeing that certainly many traditions make the Word of God void because uh, traditions uh, are supposed to be uh, methods, but not the means. Jesus Christ, a relationship with Jesus Christ is the, the means. Traditions are method, and we dove into that. Then we seen that Jesus said that because you take your traditions over, you take your traditions over the Word of God, you take your traditions over your relationship with Jesus, you make the Word of God void. Then we open up the Scriptures and look, seeing why humility is so important. Last week, last couple weeks, been dealing with the prodigal son and learning about repentance. Today we want to finish up this series with the evidence of a changed heart. Because if you remember right, in the prodigal son, we looked at that there were four desires, four main motives of, uh, of our heart's condition, which is condition with anger, condition with despair, condition with fear, uh, and, and condition with um, foolishness. And we want freedom from that because we don't want traditions to act and look spiritual, but we want Jesus Christ to change our hearts and therefore utterly change us. 2 Corinthians 5.17 says, if anyone is in Christ, he's a new creation. And a lot of times what we like to do, we like to, like, you know, like Play-Doh, mold and make us look decent on the outside, but when our hearts are still hard and wicked on the inside. So we've been taking a look through this series like, listen, I just don't want to play church. I want to be the church. I don't want to just play like a Christian. I want the Holy Spirit to wreck me and to change me into the image of Jesus. And so today we're putting a cap on the end of this sermon in Mark chapter 5 and talk about evidence and evidence of a changed heart. See, evidence is important in almost every aspect of our lives. Evidence is the indication that something is true by the way of available information. So here's some use of evidence in everyday life. Number one. I know my children's room might not be clean if they are watching TV and they have never went into the room all day. Busted. Um, I have two of my children in the room right now, so uh, evidence number two. My car's almost empty of gas. Why? Because my wife has been driving it? No, no, which is so true um, because the gauge shows it. Or maybe because it stops on the highway. Uh, evidence number three that I thought was kind of funny, someone might be in a bad mood when you hear the statement, find it yourself. Mm. Evidence number four, someone might be guilty of a crime if there's evidence from a video. Busted in the act. Evidence number five that I thought was interesting, someone's guilty of eating out because there are wrappers of Wendy's in your car. By the way, Wendy's came back out with the classic bacon, bacon classic combo. Uh, 
It's wonderful. I've had it three times in two weeks. <laughs> evidence I have a heart issue that really loves bacon, I guess. Also, evidence also shows the condition of our hearts. Number one, evidence may show that someone isn't in the Bible because the Bible is still in the box that you bought it in. How do you know someone hasn't been reading the Word? Maybe the Bible makes this sound when you open it. Like it's brand new. Evidence of the heart number two that might be an evidence of the condition of your heart. Our emotions can be evidence of the condition of our heart. So your emotions. The scripture says that Jesus keeps us in peace. And when you have no peace, when there's turmoil in your heart, that can be indication of the condition of your heart. Jesus gives us joy. Jesus gives us peace. And when I'm frantic, when I'm uh, impatient, when I have these desires, it can show the condition of my heart. Well, another one I thought of is our tongue can be an evidence of our prayer life. I think we're ca more cautious with our tongue when we're using our tongue to glorify the Lord in prayer. Is that true at all? Yes. Come on. Come on now. We're being a little subtle. I know that communion was serious this morning, but think about it. The more I pray to the Lord, the less I'm going to harm people with my tongue. So I think that our tongue is a good indication of actual prayer. I'm not talking about just going through the tradition of prayer. I'm saying actually meeting with God. And then the last indication I think of is a lack of obedience to Scripture can be an evidence of lostness or disobedience. So a lack of, of, of obedience, well, Scripture calls us to obedience thing, to follow Jesus. And that can indicate that I'm either lost or in rebellion to Jesus. And so even there's evidence in our lives that show the condition of our heart, just like there's evidence in my life that, that, that indicates certain things. And so we want to get after that today. If I had to put this message in a sentence, I would put it like this. Evidence of a changed heart is shown through the desires, motives, and the life of a changed person. Evidence of a changed heart is shown through a life, through your life, how you respond. How you, well, I'm just a sinner. Yes, you're a sinner, but you're saved by grace. And if the Holy Spirit's dwelling in you, there should be um, evidence of the Holy Spirit dwelling in you. So open your Bibles to Mark chapter 5. We'll start with verse 1, and we'll go through the story, and then we'll see what the Lord has for us. Verse 1 says, They came to the other side of the sea, to the country of the Genesirenes. And when Jesus had stepped out of the boat, immediately there met him out of the tombs a man with an unclean spirit. Now, the area that Jesus is meeting is actually northeast of the Sea of Galilee. We have some pictures to help with that. This is a map of the Sea of Galilee and uh, uh, where, um, where it is believed that Jesus, where the pigs were, uh, uh, this story is where the uh, pen dot is. And let's go on a little bit. And so as you see that there's actually evidence, physical evidence, that this is actually the spot. This is a stone that's about 1,600 years old which is interesting because there was a church um, built at this site, and this stone comes from that church, and we'll talk about that later. 
Um, but this stone um, is important to understand that the Bible has evidence of proving true. Let's go to the next. So this is the Sea of Galilee. You're actually looking at the town of Tiberias, which your back would actually be to this spot that we're talking about in Scripture today as we go forward in the picture. And so this is when we were on the Sea of Galilee. This is looking towards Jerusalem. This is looking at the south. Beautiful picture. Beautiful. It's very small, a very, very small lake. We're actually towards the north end of the lake. All right, go ahead and go to the next one. This should be the uh, Sermon on the Mount. This is where most scholars, most archaeologists think the Sermon on the Mount was. And so right now I'm looking back towards Tiberias. To the left is um, uh, pointing towards Jerusalem. Uh, the Jordan River comes from or goes out uh, in that tip of the corner there. And the next picture is going to be something interesting. So I turn my body, and you're looking at the, the Tiberias in, in the south, and then I turn my body and I see this mountain. On top of this mountain is actually the pin dot that you saw on the map to begin with. This is actually the hill that Jesus cast the demons out, and they run down the hill. So G, as Jesus is preaching... The Sermon on the Mount, he knows exactly the location where there is a man on top of the mountain that's demon-possessed. It's quite interesting. All right. Is that it, or do we have one more? Okay. Is that it? Okay, we're good. And so it's interesting to know that the location that we have archaeology showing us where these things happen in the Bible, and when Jesus stepped out of the boat, so he went from that area that you saw the city and things, and he went over, immediately he met with, out of the tomb. Now remember in Mark chapter 4, uh, we have that Jesus calms a storm. So Jesus calms a storm on the sea and showing that Jesus is the one ultimately in control of peace. Jesus is the one ultimately in control of stopping the turmoil. But now he meets a man that has turmoil, not of the water, but on the, ins, on the inward soul. The Sea of Galilee at night would be very tumultuous. It would be very, very devastating. And so, um, because it's a small lake and surrounded by a lot of desert, uh, the night air would come and create quite the scene. Immediately he met the, him out of the tombs, a man with an unclean spirit. He lived among the tombs, and no one could bind him anymore, not even with a chain. Notice this man is possessed by a demon. Now, I think that most scholars would say that the better word for us would be influenced by demons. So the question for us in our culture is not am I possessed, which Scripture clearly shows, but am I influenced? We're influenced many ways by demons. We're influenced by tempting of our flesh. We're influenced by the things that we watch on TV. We're influenced by people in our sphere of influence that lead me astray. For he had often been bound with shackles and chains, but he wrenched the chains apart and he broke the shackles in pieces. So this guy not only has an inward issue, but he's okay with destroying his body and he has strength that is unheard of and he's living isolated. So look at the inward side of him. He doesn't have Jesus. He doesn't have hope. So what's going on the inside of this man? He has major, major demonic influence. He has terror that's living his life as a disaster. 
and it's coming through, and there's evidence in his life. So if you would see this man, you would, you would see him naked. You would see him isolated out of the country. He's living in the caves. You would see his body cut and bruised. You would see scars. Uh, I know as surely as I'm standing here that many in this room have many scars. Been hurt. My heart goes out to you. I have scars. Jesus is the answer. No one had the strength to subdue him. Night and day among the tombs and on the mountain, he was always crying out and cutting himself with stones. This is a picture of a person that just... This is a sad picture of someone that's influenced. His heart, his motive, his desires are all messed up. And, and look, it's destroying him, which is a good picture that when I am given into my desires, my motives, my sin, it destroys me. Not just the inside of my heart, but it destroys the outside. Look what happens. He's isolated. It's destroyed all of his relationships. No one wants a relationship with him. He, it's separated from his country and his home and his government. No one wants him. He's probably skinny because he probably doesn't eat a lot. He's probably pretty weird because he screams a lot. No one wants to go to those caves and have a picnic with him or play basketball. This guy is isolated. No one's taking pictures on Facebook and social media with this guy. He's the guy that when you walk by, you cringe on the inside. He's the guy that when you walk by, you turn your head and act like uh, you saw something interesting in the Sea of Galilee. He's the guy that you don't want to care for. He's the guy that you wish would just die. He's the guy that you would wish that he just fell off the cliff. See, what's interesting about this picture is everyone in this man's life wish he was the pigs that fell into the sea. What's interesting is that Jesus has a different view. Well, we're on verse 6. And when he saw Jesus from afar, he ran and fell down before him. I find it so interesting that a guy that's so demonic-influenced sees Jesus. Well, I'll just stop there. He fell down before him, and crying out with a loud voice, he said, What have you to do with me, Jesus, Son of the Most High God? I adjure you by God not to torment me. So the demonic influence, the demons inside of him, the possession is saying, Jesus, what? He fell down and humbled himself before Jesus. Even the demons humble himself. And so here's what I find so interesting is that this, this demon was saying, do not torture me, Jesus. Do not, um, um, do not, um, uh, do not make me face the consequences that are coming. See? Demonic influence is shown through demonic living. His demonic living is cutting himself. See, when we sin, we choose to sin, we choose to suffer. When we sin, we hurt ourselves. When we sin, if I sin against my wife, Lindsay, and what that means is if I commit adultery against Lindsay, if, I, if I'm looking at other women lustfully against Lindsay, that hurts our relationship. It kills our intimacy. Same thing with God. When you sin against God, it kills your relationship with God. So the demon says, begs Jesus, do not torture me. He's screaming, he's loud, he's on the ground, his face is in the dirt. See, this is what this de demon in him that's speaking understands. He understands that Jesus judge, that Jesus has judgment. 
Matthew 10, 28 says, And do not fear those who kill the body, but cannot kill the soul. A lot of times we struggle with the fear of man. And the scripture says not to fear man, but fear the one that's judging you, the one that can kill the body and kill the soul. Rather fear him who can destroy both the soul and the body in hell. See, the demon understood that, that Jesus is the judge. And you have to understand that looking at this passage, that this demon knows that Jesus is king, Jesus is judge, and we will all stand before God and give a judgment. We forgot that modern-day Christianity. We forgot that Jesus will hold us accountable. Jesus is the ultimate judge. The lost will be judged of their sin. Revelation 10, uh, 20 15 says, And if anyone's name was not written in the book of life, he is thrown into the lake of fire. I mean, this demon knows what's coming to him. This demon knows that Jesus has the authority of judgment. And yet this demon is saying, don't torture me now. This is not my time. Because this demon knows that Jesus is judge. The demon knows that the lost will be judged. If you're in this room and, and you're apart from God, I want to encourage you. I want to beg you. I, I want to, I, you know, uh, with tears and, and with, with crying out, trust Jesus. He is the one. If, if you're in this room and, and, and you have lostness in your heart, uh, uh, if you're not listening and obeying to God, if you're in, living in disobedience, let me beg you to come to Jesus because there is a penalty of a lake of fire of righteousness that will be judged. This demon knows it. Well, Romans 2, 6 through 8 says, He will render to each one according to his works. God will give to each of us. The outward life of our inward heart. He will render to those who by patience and well-doing seek the glory and honor and immortality, he will give eternal life. So those whose hearts are being changed. Why are we doing this sermon series? Because we don't want to look like a church. We want to be the church. We want to be people that have the Holy Spirit dwelling and changing us. Why? Because we don't want to be in the prison of my anger, of my self-control. We don't want to be in the prison of despair. We don't want to be in the prison of, of foolishness or, or sexual impurity or, or giving in to drunkenness. We don't want to be in a prison that, that costs me, my eternal life. And Jesus says that if you seek me, you'll have eternal life with me. But listen to this. He will give eternal life. But for those who are self-seeking, those who are self-seeking, this is a warning from God's word. For those who are self-seeking and do not obey the truth, but obey unrighteousness, there will be wrath and fury. This demon knew that. Wrath and fury are coming. Wrath and fury are coming. It's no small matter that you come on Sunday mornings and listen to God's Word. And what you do with God's Word throughout the week will depend on how Jesus judges you. Thanks for listening to Get Vertical Gal Police. Now we want you to join the conversation. Is God transforming your life through His Word? We would love to hear about it. Message us at info at verticalgalpolice.org and find us on social media by searching Vertical Church Gal Police. Join the conversation. You are loved.